Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I'm Eric Eastep. And I'm Scott Reevely. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back, listeners. Scott, how are we doing? How are we doing? Okay. What is new in your world? Well, this was the first week I feel like I recovered from my sabbatical. Like <laughs> recovered from it's been a month. And like you recovered like you needed rest or you recovered like you got back into Well, like a I had rhythm? a normal week actually for the first time. Okay. Since then and so made some progress on some things that weren't emergencies, which was really nice. That's good. Yeah. That's good. What'd you do? Oh, this last week my family went on our first camping trip. All right. Four boys. Many people may know that. Uh, but we've never been camping, so it was a well, big are, experiment. That's four reasons why you've never been that's camping. That's four reasons, yes. And let, let's see if we can do this. And, and we did it, and it and it worked. They all came back alive. Just I feel like I'm very successful. I feel like your really threshold's well. really low, but that's okay. <laughs> we also had fun, and it was it was a good trip. So there, there may be more camping trips in our future. Well, I hope so. Yeah. I also recently finished a book that I think last time we talked about books, none of the books I had read had anything to do with this podcast, but this last book I finished, I think does have something to do with this podcast. Okay, and what would that be? I just finished a book called Roger Williams and the Creation of the American Soul. Lofty, lofty title. Uh, The subtitle is Church, State, and the Birth of Liberty, and it was written by John M. Barry. Um, So I don't know how many listeners know about Roger Williams, but uh, he, you'll know after today, there after we go today. Uh, but he was one of the original, uh, people that came over from England, um, uh, for religious reasons, really. Uh, he started in, in the church, 1630 in 1630. Yep. Started in the church of England, um, got influenced by the Puritans who were reacting against the church of England and came to America because of the potential freedom and Hey, we can, we can worship the way we want to worship. Um, and I think probably the most notable thing about him is that uh, he, the way he thought about um, freedom of thought, freedom of religion, he actually got kicked out of one city that uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and, and we're gonna we're gonna worship this particular way, and he didn't agree with them, so they kicked him out, <laughs> and he went and started his own um, his own city, his own I guess it'd be a colony, uh, well Providence, it was a colony, Providence, Rhode Island. It was a colony at the time. Mm-hmm. Became Rhode Island. Right. Yes. Uh, so that's the, a short biography of him, but what was really interesting, just kind of reading through it, is as I read it, I was thinking, wow, this is everywhere in our culture. No one, probably no one really knows about Roger Williams, but all of this talk about freedom of thought, I get to choose basically what I think and how I think, and um, I get to be the definer of uh, what is right, and especially about religious things. It, it just sounded like just proto-American stuff, like pre-independence, pre, um, pre-declaration uh, of independence and, and the Constitution, all those type of things. The way we think about being an American, and, and especially the way we think about it with religion, seems rooted in Roger Williams. So you say uh, pre, 
Declaration of Independence, 140 years mm -hmm. before the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a long time before. Yeah. <clears throat> Super interesting. So I have a few takeaways from it that we can walk through if you'd like, and or unless you have anything you want to add about Roger Williams. Oh, I, so listeners, Roger I said, and I, I read, go way back. <laughs> go way back. I said, I, I read this book by Roger Williams, and, and I started writing some outlines, and Scott gets all excited, and now there's a stack of books <laughs> on the table. And, and the best one is missing, but it, it couldn't you couldn't find it. So, yes, one of the things that Eric and I have in common, in addition to being um, on the same podcast, of course, <laughs> the number one thing about us is, is that, that uh, we are, are married to women who are descended from Roger Williams. <laughs> Our claim to fame. Is that like a weird enough way to say that? I looked on Wikipedia for notable descendants and, and neither of our wives are on the Wikipedia page. Well, it needs to be updated. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, Marcia is descended from Roger Williams and therefore Leslie is as well. But we had, uh, it, it's a, uh, there's a lot of long stories here, but uh, when I, when my grandfather died, they handed me a Bible. The only unusual thing about the Bible were the names that were scribbled in the margin or in the central leaf between the New Testament and Old Testament. Mm. And they were people I didn't even know. Was that and like the, my the pages for marriages? Yeah, they were my family. And so I tried to put them together in some kind of graph and that was pretty interesting and I had this big mystery and so I looked into them and of course nobody knew anything about them they were peasants <laughs> and I I asked uh, <laughs> it, it was on it might have even been on the same vacation but it might have been right after ask Marcia's family do you have anything on your family history well they had this book that got me back to I don't know the early 1800s or maybe late 1700s and I thought, oh, wow, this is a lot more information I have on my family. And so I got back here to Oregon and went to the Family History Center. And within 30 minutes, so I mean, and including the time it takes to turn the computer on and do all the things, I found out that the last person in this, um, in the book that I got from Marcia's family was a direct descendant from Roger Williams. And I mentioned this to the people at the Family History Center. And they said, What? <laughs> the Roger Williams <laughs> and all of a sudden I was a big celebrity because they um, yeah there have been a lot of uh, I mean there's a very very early family in mm -hmm. American history mm -hmm. and uh, all kinds of uh, family history things have been done on them and so yeah there was all kinds of information within so within 30 minutes I had like the mother load of all kinds of genealogy stuff and was hooked for a couple of years on trying to figure those things out but Anyway, yes, Marcia was uh, descended from Roger Williams, which it is notable because, um, you know, the his thing was religious freedom. Mm -hmm. you, you might know it as separation of church and state, uh, but th that really wasn't popularized, you might say, for right. another 140 years. But uh, he was... Yeah, he was a proponent before Jefferson, and Jefferson's usually the one that gets cited. Jefferson really was channeling Roger Williams mm -hmm. and uh, had most likely read Roger Williams' work on it, actually. Mm -hmm. But he... Um, but yeah, Roger Williams, you, you mentioned he got kicked out of Massachusetts Bay Colony, and, and it was on account of the, uh, probably some other things too, but primarily the establishment of the church in Massachusetts Bay. By that, you know, you couldn't 
uh, vote mm-hmm. uh, or I, I think even probably own land unless you're a member of the church, which meant that in order to have any kind of a stake in the American experiment, you had to right. be a church. You had They coerced you to, into being a church member. Right. And uh, that to him was anathema because you could not coerce somebody's conscience. That mm-hmm. essentially is his main idea, probably main contribution, is you can't coerce the conscience. Mm-hmm. So that's a negative look on it. And um, he, um, <clears throat> when he was expelled, he got in a canoe with mm-hmm. uh, another one of our, our wife's ancestors, paddled around the bay and went into Narragansett Bay, bought land from the Indians. He was probably the most trusted uh, um, white man in the whole North America. Yeah, they were using of, him as a, almost a, a council. Well, and he and he had he had, was a go between and different right. things during King Philip's War and stuff like that. So he he really treated the uh, Native Americans with great respect. And uh, anyway, founded Rhode Island. Not only founded Rhode Island, founded the first Baptist church in America. Mm-hmm. So he was Baptist, you might say, mm-hmm. kind of. We might get into that. <laughs> he, yeah, he was. He well, he was Baptist for a period of time, and then he he, he had a, he had a free conscience, so he wanted to right. freely be something else. But the thing that he did, and the reason I want to peg him as Baptist, is that he uh, he essentially planted the seed of um, liberty of conscience in Baptist churches mm. for the rest of American history. Right, as one of those. Typical distinctives. Yeah, which is, which, if you were to translate liberty of conscience into modern parlance, it would essentially be no one can tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't take a lot of thought to apply that to church life. And if people are saying no one can tell me what to do, it's not going to be a very good church situation. <laughs> and that is essentially what happened. And he, uh, then left to do something different with uh, his with whatever church he was onto then, and uh, his I know his grandson or it would be his grandson-in-law I guess pastored that Baptist church at mm. one point in time. So the family goes way back. Is that still there? there? Do you know? It is. Yeah, I visited it. And the interesting thing is he he left the Congregational Church in Massachusetts Bay. To, to found the Baptist church, mm-hmm. went and built a Baptist church just like the Congregational church. So they had the pews that you would rent. So, oh, yeah. So the, there are locks on the doors, and mm-hmm. in order to for your family to sit in this pew, you had to you know, essentially pay. Mm-hmm. And some things like that that were very congregational. And so it's just interesting. I mean, I, I point that out because... You know, though he was a trailblazer on one hand, he just mm-hmm. reduplicated what he had already experienced on the other. And and I think, you know, for the yeah, most part... everything the same except for what I disagree with. And then we'll, we'll switch it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, which is kind of how all of us are, right? I mean, we know what we know. Well, it sounds like every church split ever. <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're bound by, you know, we're bound by our experience and all the things, and so is he, so... Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, it was very fun to learn about uh, Roger Williams, and um, it, uh, it, it's it been good fodder for family conversations, too. 
you know, because if anybody's stubborn, and uh, of course in the extent family, not in my immediate family. Of course not. They're never. descended from Roger Williams. So there you go. It's like, we can blame Roger for everything. It's the, it's the like hallmark of being stubborn. Mm. Well, I have a few uh, takeaways from the book that I think is helpful uh, for how we think about really this. I, f- I feel like a lot of it is we're doing the same fights that we've been doing since the beginning. That, that was one of the things <laughs> I just thought is nothing's really changed. It's still the same. Um, some of the at- intensity seems to be a little bit different, but um, the first thing I noted is that it's, it's astounding how it, it seemed to me very trivial, the type of religious um, fights they were having. Because there was like a, what? There was the Church of England, and if you know anything about uh, the Ang- Anglican Church or Church of England, there's the Book of Common Prayer. So here's how you're going to do this service, um, you say this prayer, do this thing, and shout out to my—I got a friend in the Church of England or, or Anglican Church, so shout out to him. Um, but back in the 1600s, the, one of the big fights with the Puritans were, no, we don't think this is a good way to order services, basically. We don't like the way worship is being organized, so we're going to go somewhere else. And there was one point in the book where they noted um, during a service, there were a couple people that would have labeled themselves as Puritans, and someone started reading a prayer that they knew from the Book of Common Prayer, and they got up and left. <laughs> like, forget it. That, that prayer is not good enough. And just kind of reading it and thinking through it, I just kind of, that, that just seems trivial to me. Like, that, that could be a good prayer. I don't know. That's, that could be helpful. Um, but obviously, it's it's a bigger thing than that. But the way it manifested itself, just it sounded like I don't like the music here, so we're going to go do something else, which sounds familiar to me. It just sounds the more things change, the more they stay the same. So definitely, and that's a lot of the. I gave a trivial example, um, but they were wanting to pull apart from the the state's influence of the Church of England and all that. Um, but all of that is why they came over here and started mm-hmm. some new things. Um, well, they did just what I mentioned Roger Williams did. I mean, mm-hmm. they they left England to get mm-hmm. away from the state-controlled church, basically, right? and came over and established the same thing. Right. And it, it's very interesting how, um, again, they did what they knew. Mm-hmm. And I think that that heritage, it, it's hard to overestimate that heritage, I think, because so much of what we um, struggle with and— some people want to go back to that and have a national church, more or less, or have mm. the church be have the nation be Christian. Yeah, any any desire for a Christian nation is is hearkening back to that. Yeah, and they as long as it agrees with me. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so many things that are you might even say bred into us that mm-hmm. uh, by our religious heritage. That I mean, I, I see different things that say death to tyrants, and mm-hmm. you know they're they're uh, stickers or coffee coasters or whatever they are that that religious groups put out. And those all go back to the Puritans, to them leaving and then coming and doing the same thing. And, and it's death to tyrants until I get to be the tyrant. Mm-hmm. And I think we just have to be kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, humble about our history a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's super interesting about uh, the Puritans coming over and and we like the Puritans. We've recommended reading some Puritans before. Like always, there's, there's yes. some, always there's some good stuff there. Um, they they got uptight about some stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. And what was so interesting to me is they say, "Oh, we don't want this influence of the state over here, so we're going to go to America, start something new, and essentially set up our, our own state 
and do the same thing over again. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that a lot of the worship was similar, a lot of the ecclesiological or church structure was similar, the relationship to the state is similar. Right. And that, that's what was so fascinating to me and, and what Williams bucked against. Uh, but you have groups like Winthrop who came over and started the Massachusetts uh, Bay Colony and um, the, the, the state or the, the colony was ex or the municipality was explicitly linked to the church. And one of the things Williams didn't like was he, sa he said, I don't think it's right that civil magistrates or think your city council, they shouldn't be able to punish you for the, the God-focused things of the Ten Commandments. Like that's not their sphere. They shouldn't be connected that way. And that was one of the, the pamphlets he wrote. And, hey, you got to burn this thing basically because not, we're not agreeing about this. And it, that wasn't the initial thing, but uh, it led to him, him getting kicked out. So I, I just that's one of the things we, we talk about church and state all the time. And the the problems of that are 400 years old. We're not even the first people in our family <laughs> to be talking about this, are we? Exactly, <clears throat> exactly. And I I still just think it's so interesting. We talk about oh we should we should be a Christian nation again at, at a federal level. We never have been because we've never been established. That's from from the very beginning. One of the distinctions of uh, our constitution is that we don't we don't do that. We we saw how that ha what happened in Europe. Um, and individual states were doing that, but not at a federal level, not at a national level, mm -hmm. which is uh, which is an interesting, really, I think, rebuttal to the argument um, of, hey, we, we used to be a Christian nation, now now we're not. Like, no, that's actually, we we're explicitly not. And mm -hmm. there might have been some quote-unquote Christian states or really denominational states because there was different denominations that had, or different states that had different um, established religion as the, the main, main thing. But... It's a 400-year-old problem, which kind of gives me encouragement to one degree. Like, well, it's the same thing, and, and it's, also, it's also sad. Like, we haven't solved it. Yeah, the, uh, it is interesting, though, that this establishment question does— it goes back to Roger Williams. Mm -hmm. I mean, because he was the first one to recognize that they need to be separate. Right. Which, I mean, when you think about being the first one to recognize that, it's, it seems glaringly obvious now. Right. But it wasn't to anybody. Yeah. So much so there was church discipline and all the things involved mm -hmm. there for him. Well, and so. church discipline attached to, oh, you can't, you can't vote anymore because you're under church discipline. You can't even live here anymore. Right. Yes. Right. Or you can, but we're going to put a letter on your head and it's yeah, going it, to point out to everyone that you've been excommunicated, whatever. Um, so he was the first person to really put pen to paper about these things. Uh, some were saying he probably influenced Locke as well. Um, but I think that influence, he was the first one, but it kind of, it seemed to supersede everything for him. Freedom of conscience was the thing. Um, right. and as I was reading, I just sensed it everywhere in, in modern day. Like that is the thing I, I get to choose what I think is right. I get to choose what I get to do. Um, no one can tell me what to do. Like you said, as a, as a colloquial term. And in that regard, one we're saying Roger is, Williams is proto-American. I think he's also like proto-liberal. Like he's the original liberal uh, in, in that the individual is the key, uh, the key piece of society. Right. And the individual gets to decide what an individual does and, and how that works. Um, and in, in some regard, that's helpful. I don't want the state to dictate how the church thinks or, or vice versa because they're in different spheres. Uh, but he basically... 
in, in my reading of this book, he basically said there's three things. There's the state, there's the church, and there's the individual. And the individual kind of trumps everything. And I think that's a weakness of his initial thinking mm-hmm. uh, because it's, well, what is, the, what is the common denominator of society? We'll say individual. And I think there are way more pieces than those three. And he, he may have as well. But I think um, all those other institutions that are around are something we need to keep in play as well. I don't get to decide um, what is best because there are other institutions that should be forming me. That's, that's part of what institutions do is form people. Um, that could be family. That could be uh, places of work. That could be schools. That could be churches. Uh, and to set up the individual as the prominent piece of society basically sets it at odds with every institution there is. And if the individual disagrees, there's no, there's, yeah. there's no accountability to it. And if the individual is primary, then all the other things have to bow right. to the individual, which is really what we're seeing in many, many arenas of life mm-hmm. now, where an individual uh, is able to determine you know, against their biology what gender they are, Mm. or with their biology, I mean, same thing, Mm -hmm. but it's still, it's all an internal, individually determined thing, which is, um, again, uh, essentially fruit of Mm -hmm. this idea. Yeah. But I think even more, uh, in addition to that, if you just... If you just observe the news for a little bit, you'll see a bunch of individuals using institutions, not not submitting to institutions, but using institutions. And I've there, I can't remember which writer talks about it this way, but uh, nowadays people will use institutions as platforms rather than um, submit to an institution and and be formed by it. They go, oh, I can I can use this institution for my own uh, my own gain and and bend it to my will. And you see that with you see that with political parties, you see that with schools, you see that with um, uh, organizations, publications, all sorts of things. People go, oh, I'm an individual. I want to go this direction. I'm going to take this powerful thing because it has influence or resources or whatever. And because the, it, the individual is the primary piece, I'm going to, I'm going to bend this institution to my will rather than say, oh, I wonder what, why this institution exists and um, how I can help it do what it's supposed to do. Rather, it's no, it's about me and I'm going to mm-hmm. go a different direction. So yeah, Roger Williams, the proto-liberal, the proto-American, I guess not proto-Baptist, but we, we can get close. Well, he kind of was a proto-Baptist in that he was the first, but wasn't truly Baptist like you mentioned. Right, right. And so, yeah, he was probably proto mm-hmm. in that regard, ahead of his time, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I mean, I think it is fair to say he was ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't really for 100 years or so more right. until those his ideas became more popular mainstream ideas. Mm-hmm. And now we're still trying to figure out how they apply and, right. and where, where to land exactly. I mean, you mm-hmm. mentioned the you know, balance or tension between institution and individual. Mm-hmm. That is a tension. Right. And where do you land? Sometimes one mm-hmm. place, sometimes another. It's, uh, it's a challenge. Right. And I think uh, him thinking about these things first and being ahead of his time, uh, as I was reading the book, that was really just a warning for me because he had some ideas and was pretty particular about them and wrote some of them down. Uh, And now, 400 years later, I'm just observing the world. Uh, I'm observing our country, really, not the Mm -hmm. world, and going, ah, I see the fingerprints of Roger Williams everywhere. 
It's in the way I, auto, I default think. It's in the way the groups I interact with default think. We all think like Roger Williams, whether we, whether we realize it or not. And I don't know that he anticipated or expected that level of influence um, over, over a country as large as ours um, when he was thinking through these ideas and, and writing them out. So for me, that was kind of a warning, like, oh, because sometimes you're, you're thinking about something and, and I got I to gotta, I gotta write something down or I got to tell this group of people something. Um, and you think, well, it doesn't really matter. This is five people or, or it's my family or whatever, and I can get close and it'll be fine. Um, and I feel like maybe Roger Williams was close, but mm-hmm. the, the degree to which he was not close was a trajectory that created a bunch of space now, 400 years later, between what, what ought be and what is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's, the, that's the space I noticed uh, as reading this book and then just observing our own time. He, again, just that emphasis on the individual and, and the conscience and the way he lived his life and then wrote about it and, um, and tried to support his ideas has created, an, uh, I think, a, a culture that is um, askew from what ought be now because we follow Roger Williams. Well, I think it's, it's probably worth, you know, just thinking a little bit more about those couple things. Um, you know, so the, the liberty of conscience or the, um, <clears throat> the freedom of conscience is really a worthwhile idea to think about because um, you don't want somebody or an institution or a media platform um, coercing you to do something or making you say something that you know you shouldn't say mm-hmm. or believe something you know you shouldn't believe. And so in that respect, we're, we're in debt to Roger Williams. Mm-hmm. Because, and and I, I mean, I think it's worth saying that because there is a sense in which the scripture does demand your individual response of faith in, you know, in Christ. And you don't want that coming out, even if you're right. It, it it can't be genuine for you to coerce somebody else to believe in order to agree with you. Sure. And I mean, yeah, you, well, you're using the word coercion. I think that's a helpful word when we're talking about the state, because the state actually has power to coerce. It has the, the power of violence. It has, um, the God given mandate to coerce actually. Right. So yeah. to separate, hey, the state can't um, bind my conscience, uh, okay, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. But I think to some degree the church should be able to. We're going we're gonna to point this way. Um, the Bible says this. Well, so, yeah, th- okay. <laughs> Just in case we weren't, um, you know, practical enough or close enough to the uh, 2023, um, we watched the... Uh, shiny happy people um, documentary that came out mm-hmm. um, what four months ago or something mm-hmm. and it highlighted the Bill Gothard um, uh, basic life principle things and what and, and one of the key ideas there was the chain of command mm. the chain of authority so you know, God ordained the husband to be the authority over the wife, to be the authority over the kids. And there was this chain of command. And um, one, of the, one of the things, and I think if you were to look at the scripture, you would say there's, 
there if there's a chain, it's a chain of submission. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, just, like even, just even taking, you know, what you said in mind about the church coercing uh, or church pressuring my opinion, I don't think that's what we want as much as I will voluntarily submit to. See, mm-hmm. Roger Williams didn't voluntarily submit to anybody, I don't think. It didn't seem like in the book I read. No, I not, not in any of the books I read either. But I, I think the nature of church is to voluntarily submit to one another. Mm-hmm and voluntarily submit to um, church authority, leaders, that sort of thing. And the, the again, it, it seems like it's semantics, chain of command, chain of submission. Mm. But again, the chain of submission is a volitional choice. It is my conscience choosing to be shaped by the church mm-hmm. or choosing to be shaped by my family or by somebody I submit to. And so I, I is, you know, simple as that is, I think even just the, uh, um, Amazon prime, mm-hmm. uh, documentary had Roger Williams as part of it because he was this, you know, like he, it literally cited him. No, no, they didn't. But, oh, okay. he, but, but oh, that, that liberty of conscience is it would go against me what Gothard taught mm-hmm. and this the um, chain of submission would be probably more accurate there so um, th- we do see these things all the time and they play out in this doctrine see mm-hmm. this is the other thing I, th- I think this is church doctrine we're talking about ecclesiology mm-hmm. that shapes the way you live Mm-hmm. Doctrine shapes the way you live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think we think that. I think we think, well, I just go and I, you know, I'm a pinball. I bounce from thing to thing. And, right. Um, you know why? Because we're all influenced by Roger Williams. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. I mean, that that's, I think, the point. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I, I do think that there is this liberty of conscience that we have to seriously think about what is, what does my conscience require for you know faith in christ what does it require Mm -hmm. for my relationships with other people and it's different than what roger williams said but Mm -hmm. but he helped us see that it's not you you can't coerce it and have it be genuine you can't force it or pressure it and have it be genuine which i think is important for parents Mm -hmm. you want to raise kids to follow you know the lord you can't uh though as tempting as it is um you know twist their arm and make them do this or that or believe a certain way. Right. Um, and so uh, he was helpful in that. You know, and, and we, we, talked, we talked about Massachusetts Bay, but the, the freedom from the government coercing my belief is something that I think we take for granted here. Our brothers and sisters in China do not take it for granted. Right. And... It goes back again to Roger Williams, and it again is a, you know, a doctrinal foundation. You might say mm-hmm. that that he did not inherit. We have inherited it from from him, right. from right. from the Declaration of Independence. He did not. I mean, he he fled church, um, a church controlled state, mm-hmm. came to another one that was beginning to establish that, and uh, did everything in his power to communicate the problems with that and we're the heirs of it now. Mm-hmm. And so those are a couple of things that I think we owe 
to Roger Williams, but we have to be thoughtful right. about them too. Right. And, you know, there's, if you just get a big cleaver and say, you know, hack it down the middle and church on one side and um, government on the other, you don't really get the result you're after there either. Right. And I don't know that he did really get the result he was after for sure. But I think you have to, you have to factor in what's the role of uh, the church in that. What's the role of um, anyway? And I forgot what I was going to say. There you go. That's <laughs> gone. That, that never happens, but uh, happens uh, pretty much every day that I'm not on a microphone. Um, <laughs> anyway, bail me out here. Okay, I, I do think the I do think there is great reason to be grateful. Uh, there's reason to have gratitude for uh, what Roger Williams set up and and the place we have, the place we live in because of his thought. And I, I also think there's an equal dose of, um, there should be an equal dose, dose of humility. Just because we have the amount of freedom we have doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. And that's not actually going to be good for us. And it'd be helpful for us to submit ourselves to uh, institution. I would recommend submitting yourself to a church that um, will help form you in a way that uh, glorifies God and gives you joy. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than just go, oh, we have freedom, so now we do whatever we want. Great. Thanks, Roger. Right. <laughs> but rather use that freedom for good ends rather than for unhelpful ends. So any other Well, I did remember what I was going to oh, say. you remember? Okay. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, when you, when you slice um, the individual off from the government or the church from the government, you really don't have any cross-pollination or any um, benefit that one offers the other. Mm. namely protection from you know, the mm-hmm. government offering protection maybe or the church offering uh, transformation so that reality mm-hmm. is or so that mora- morality is shaped by right you know the teachings of Jesus I mean which is really of a government like ours is mm-hmm. dependent on that so you 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 miss that if you just say we're going to raise a, um, a wall of separation mm-hmm. that uh, so it's you've got to you've got to do it with wisdom, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's a. Uh, um, I'm glad you read Roger Williams' book, and we get to talk about him. More to come, I'm sure. So, uh, and there will be more episodes, most certainly. So, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and rate us if you find what we're doing helpful. A review would go a long way to getting this to other people, and share it with a friend. Um, send them a text or. Put it on social media. If you have questions, send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com. And we look forward to the next conversation. Oh, three, two, one. Well, hello, I'm Eric Eastep.